Who needs a vacation? Yeah. Uh, everyone that did not take a spring vacation, now I, I see Florence and Russell back there, they took their, their cruise. So you guys have all got all the vacations that, that you're entitled to. As, oh, that was winter, okay. <laughs> Russell tends to stay a little bit busy during the spring and summer and uh, with about a thousand acres to cultivate. But uh, I, I, well, vacations are nice, right? You know, I, I guess I've, I've got vacation on the mind. I don't have one planned, but maybe I need to plan one. But uh, uh, we like to get away. Who, who's a Myrtle Beach person? I'm just curious. Any Myrtle Beach people? You know, Myrtle Beach is kind of that interesting place to go. If you, if you leave from Cincinnati, you go, of course, all the way down 75 uh, through Knoxville and, and through Gatlinburg or the, uh, the exit from Gatlinburg to over North Carolina and that way to go to Myrtle Beach. But if you leave from Columbus, you go south and then you get on I-35. And so there's highways and then all of a sudden on 35, a lot of that's just two-lane road and it's, it's kind of slow going. And then you get close to Myrtle Beach and I complain about it every time we go, and my wife tells me to stop complaining. It's not going to change it. Complaining doesn't st- change anything, right? But it sure feels good to do, right? And, uh, and so, you know, I complain about, oh, why don't they have a highway all the way to Myrtle Beach? And because you, get, you start going through those small towns and traffic lights, and, and, and the hardest part of that trip is the last 100 miles as you approach Myrtle Beach, and um, I, I thought about that. You know, trips are like that. You go on vacations, and you, you have, uh, you'll be on highway, and you'll be going 65, 70 miles an hour, and then you'll come to these areas where you have to stop, and it seems like you're not moving at all. Every vacation is like, if you go to Florida, you go through Atlanta. Who likes driving through Atlanta? Yeah, that's, that's like a lot of fun, isn't it? Uh, you get, you're going, and it's, it's 70 miles an hour, then you get to Atlanta, and it's negative 5 miles an hour, or wherever it is. And then on top of that, you go uh, through Kentucky or Tennessee. Can someone explain to me, when they do road construction, is it mandated by law that the road be closed to one lane for 30 miles, even though they're only working on a quarter-mile stretch? Does anybody else question that other than me? That's kind of like trips, right? You know, and you drive over the road quite a bit. You understand what I'm saying? When we're on the road, there's times when we're making real good progress and times when the progress seems really slow. And I think that's a metaphor for life. Life's like that. There's times in our personal life where things seem to be moving very quickly and very rapidly and just according to plan, even like in our profession, our jobs or at school or, or in our family life, it seems like everything's moving smooth and going well. And then there's times it seems like you're in gridlock, uh, that you're in traffic when you're going through road construction. Uh, it's like that in all aspects of life. Life can be like a roller coaster. You know, you get on a roller coaster. Who likes roller coasters, right? Roller coasters are neat. Get on a roller coaster and you're going up that, that first hill, click, 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 click. It's really slow. And then you start going down the hills and it just picks up speed as you go around. And, and life's kind of like that. It seems like sometimes we're going up the hill and sometimes we're going down the hill. It, it applies to all aspects of life, but it applies particularly to our spiritual life. Uh, I, I don't know about you. But in my spiritual life, 
in my walk with God, in my pursuit of God, there has been times when it seems like it's been really easy and there's been times where it hasn't been as easy. There's been times when it seems like I'm maturing and I'm growing daily, and then there's times it seems like God is distant or, or, or I feel spiritually dry. Anybody else like that? <laughs> that? That Even though maybe there's not some blatant sin in my life or something that's preventing me from seeing God, but it just seems like this journey with God, there's times where maturing is easy and times where it's not so easy. I compare it to swimming upstream and, uh, and, and riding rapids. You know, sometimes in your spiritual life, in life in general, but in your spiritual life, it's like you're swimming upstream. You're, not, you're working very hard, but you're not making much progress. And, and then sometimes it's just like you're riding the rapids and, and God's doing all the work and he's teaching you new things about him and new things about yourself. And you're just growing leaps and bounds every day. So as we approach a, a revival season, I have a question I want you to be pondering this as we're going through this sermon today. When you have experienced fresh spiritual moves, what has been the catalyst? Those times in your life when you grew the most, what has been the catalyst of that growth? What things were occurring in your life? What things were you doing that allowed you to grow spiritually the most? And I want you to kind of be, just let that question run through your mind. We've talked about this before. I know you guys are thinking about other things while I'm preaching. It's better to be thinking about this than what you're going to have for lunch, right? And some of you are doing all three. You're thinking about, and now that I mentioned lunch, I've lost you for the rest of the sermon. But what has been the catalyst of your spiritual growth? Next Sunday is revival. We have Dr. Nelson Perdue, and many of you know, Dr. Purdue, if you, if you met Dr. Purdue, just raise your hand, because I know we're in two services, probably about half. Um, you know, in, in two services, sometimes it's possible not to know people in the other service, in the 830 service. And Dr. Purdue is, has been going here for, for many years. I'm not sure how many, at least 15 years, I believe. So he's been a part of this church for a long time. He told me, I had lunch with him Thursday or breakfast with him Thursday. He said Sunday morning will be the hundredth time he shared with you as a congregation. He's preached to you more than I have, and I've been your pastor for two years. And, and so that, that's not common. You, you guys have long-term pastors, and you have long-term evangelists also. And, and so I'm excited. Dr. Purdue is one of the most intelligent men you'll ever get to meet. Uh, he, he's a, a, a spirit-filled pastor, a spirit-filled preacher, and you'll enjoy hearing him speak, and you'll want to come out and, and hear him speak. But I looked up the word revival, and, and the word revival means restoration to life, consciousness, vigor, or strength. And, and so all these things are occurring in, in, in a revival. We're, we're looking to be restored in our spiritual life, and and. And hopefully that's an ongoing process, but it's a, a particular season where we're stopping and asking God to move fresh in our lives. All of us need this to a degree. We, we, we want this. We want to be restored. We want to grow. But I want you to know that restoration takes preparation. Can you say that with me? Restoration takes preparation. 
It doesn't just happen. Those of you who are handymen or those of you, if anybody ever repurpose things or, or restore things, if you're a furniture restorer, if you, if you work on cars, if you work on equipment, whatever you do, if it's, it's a process of restoration takes preparation. So, so you don't just all of a sudden start restoring a desk, but you get the products, you, you, you figure out a plan, you begin to restore. It works with cars and whatever, and it works in our spiritual life. If we want to be restored spiritually, there takes a level of preparation. If, if we want to be restored in relationships, there, there is a, a, a preparation that must occur in that circumstance, in our careers, all these areas, there has to be some preparation, and it applies to our spiritual lives as well. And so as we approach revival next week, next Sunday, if you wait for revival to prepare for revival, you will most likely miss revival. And, and so if in your mind, if, if in your will, you're saying, yes, I want to be restored. I want to have a level of new life in my spiritual life. I, I want to see God move fresh in my life. If that is your desire this morning, you cannot wait until next week to begin the process of preparing for that to happen. We need to begin now. We need to begin in our prayer life and, and, and considering uh, what's going on in our lives. So what does it mean to prepare for revival? And, and that's a phrase, that's a good churchy phrase. You know, that, that, that's something preachers say. I mean, how many times have you heard, well, let's prepare for revival? And, you know, it's, it's one of those phrases that, that I'm not exactly sure, even as, as, I, as I prepared this message... <laughs> Uh, that, that I understood exactly, you know, what does it mean to prepare for revival? You know, like when we say, okay, let's prepare for a dinner party, we know what we need to do, right? To prepare for a dinner party, we need to clean our house, most of us. <laughs> uh, we have to go buy food. We, we have to prepare the food, all these things. So, you know, you prepare for things and you understand. But what does it mean to prepare for revival? And to do that, to answer that question or kind of have a better understand that question, I want to look at John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, of course, this is in the beginning of verse 19, we're going to be talking about John the baptizer, John the Baptist. And it's interesting that we're going to use this passage just after we've finished a series on baptism. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourselves? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness Make straight the way of the Lord. And some of your translations will say, prepare the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said, now they had sent him from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of his sandal. I am not worthy to untie 
These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. So, so what do we learn from this passage? Well, John very clearly says, I am not the Christ. And, and Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, the anointed one. That The Jews were waiting for someone to, to be their king, their Messiah, their leader. And, and, and John's saying, I am not the Messiah. I am not the Christ. I am not the anointed one. I am not the one you're looking for. But I have been sent to prepare the way for the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, the one you're waiting for. I, I want you to imagine, when, and, and the language he's using, it says, prepare the way for the, the Lord, prepare the way for the king. And in ancient times, when the king would come into town, they, they would make the way easier for him. Um, let, let, let's make it contemporary. I, I want you to imagine, and, and in this political age, I understand that when we say president, everybody will have all sorts. Of, so I want you to imagine your favorite president of all time, okay? If I do that, I'm still trying to think of one. Um, Abraham Lincoln, okay. So imagine your favorite president of all time is coming to Marysville, Ohio, and he's going to speak at the courthouse. What would they do? You know, he, he would come up, probably he'd come out of Columbus, and we'd come up uh, 33, and, 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 and we decided in the first service that he'd probably get off on 36 and go across 36 past the Burger King. Maybe he'd go through the drive-thru and get a Whopper or something, and then go on down 36, and, and, or we'd probably stop at that donut place by UDF, Right best donuts in town and, and so he'd, he'd keep going down 5th street and he'd go through the downtown area and probably circle around the back of the courthouse and, and then he, you know, there'd probably be a, a waiting area then he'd come out from the courthouse and, and speak you know those roads do you think he'd hit traffic lights like the rest of us <laughs> no do you think there'd be any traffic on those roads at all? No, they'd block these roads off so it's just smooth selling. That he could just come in quick and easy. You know, there, there wouldn't, I have a feeling they would even prepare the potholes, repair the potholes in the road, right? I guess depending on the president and the political uh, powers that be in, in this county. So, so the road would be smooth and easy, and the way would be direct. There would not be anything that would interfere with this individual coming into our community. And that's the imagery that John is using. He's saying, I have been sent so that I can make a clear path so that the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, who in hindsight we realize is Jesus. I have become to make the way so that Jesus can be present to you. That Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. That's his title. Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Anointed One, Jesus the Promised One, Jesus the Christ can be present to you. And then the synoptics, and understand, there's four gospel accounts. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And John is a more philosophical 
theological-oriented gospel. John, John is less concerned in writing his gospels with setting out historical facts in a timeline or even giving us historical facts in a certain way, but he's more interested in giving you a philosophical, theological understanding of who Jesus is. John is probably written many years after the synoptics, and so most of the people had this pretty clear ideal of the facts of Jesus, and John is now taking those facts and trying to give us a theological understanding of what God has done through Jesus Christ. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, include this phrase in John's description. They say, the Christ, the Messiah, will baptize you with Holy Spirit and the fire. And fire. Holy Spirit and the fire. And fire. Why am I trouble saying it? will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In other words, what, what, what John is saying is, I am making a way so that you can be present to Jesus Christ. You can be present to the anointed one. You can be present to the one that's been sent by God. And he is going to do this work within you through the Holy Spirit and through fire to change you from the inside out. Jesus is coming to bring true life Change. He is coming to transform us from the inside out. Now, now the Jews who had an understanding of Scripture, I believe, would see this very clearly portrayed in the Scripture because God is, is continually talking about the need for a new heart, that, that we be changed from the inside out. Uh, you don't need to be conformed into a pattern of Christianity. To, to be a follower of Jesus means that we are allowing him to live within us and change us from the inside out. That's why it's never about rules, but it's about relationship because the relationship is where transformation occurs. And if you're still living just in this rules understanding of your spirituality, you're missing the dynamic understanding, the dynamic power of transforming power of Jesus Christ in your life. He has come to transform us. <laughs> That's why I love about Romans 12, 1 and 2. And it's, it's my life verse, and so I, I use it quite often. But, but Paul contrasts, he says, you know, don't, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can know what the good and perfect will of your heavenly Father is. In other words, that that, that God is trying to do something within us that we can't do through the structure of religion, that through this world's power we can't do, but God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, can prepare the way. I'm preparing the way. This is John so that Jesus can be present to you. So that when he comes, you can see him, you can hear him, you can respond to him, and you can experience his transforming grace. So what's the point? True change comes in the presence of Jesus. No other way. 
You know, I, I, uh, I love all that we do in our church services. I do. I love the worship. I, you know, I, I, I love to hear Amy. I love to hear Vicki. I, I love all that we do here. But unless we find ourselves in the presence of Christ, unless we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus, transformation will not occur. First service, I said, I love to preach and you love to hear me preach. And everybody just laughed at me. So I, I, I love to preach. And, you know, I, I think it's an important part of what we do that we, we stand and we open the word of God and talk about this together. I, 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 I don't like that preaching is such a monologue. I, I wish, and in my mind, I've always thought, man, is there any way? And, th- and that's why you have your notes to, to kind of respond. You know, there's questions. Some of, some of them use them in small groups. And, and I, I know people that take them and use them kind of as private devotion times. And, and so, I, you know, the ideal of sermon as monologue is, I don't like that. I, I wish we could be more conversational in our time uh, together, but it's kind of difficult when you have about 150 people in a room trying to have a conversation with everybody, right? But I hope you think about these things and talk about these things. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the worst thing that could happen at the end of a sermon is at the end of it, there could be a period, paragraph, page over, done. Right? See, see, I I hope what we do in here is just an opportunity for us to think about these things and talk about these things. Um, I I hate it when I talk to, well, well, I won't won't go. I hope that somehow when we gather, this isn't the end of the conversation. Uh, I read this week, somebody said that Preaching without preparation is just performance. And I think that's true, but as I thought about that little statement and I thought about our time here, preaching without the presence of God, without the presence of Jesus is just performance. See, when we gather in here, if we do not encounter Jesus, we miss the whole purpose And truthfully, I want you to understand, the worst sermon, the worst singing, Christ is still here. So don't begin to equate style or performance with presence, because when you gathered in this room, or two or three are gathered in my name, I will be in their midst. There is that promise, and I believe God is true to his promise. And so if God is here and we are God's people filled with his spirit, that means that Jesus Christ is present here. So oftentimes the problem is not that Christ is not here. And I've heard people say that. You know, Christ is, you know, the Holy Spirit's never present in that place anymore. Well, if the Holy Spirit dwells you and the Holy Spirit's not present in that place, what's that say about you? <laughs> If we are filled with God's spirit and if we've gathered for the sole purpose of worshiping him, he is present. And so oftentimes it's not God that's not present. It's us that's not present. Our eyes are not open. Man, I better get back up here to my notes or I'm going to get in trouble, Eric. Jesus says to Nicodemus, he's talking about the kingdom of God and, and, and seeing the kingdom of God and And Jesus says, words to this effect, you have to be born again 
to see the kingdom of God. Look it up. That's, that's what he said. You have to be born again to see the kingdom. And, and we take those, and I love the phrase, that the ideal of being born again. I think that's a, a proper understanding of being saved. I, I do. But I think it's deeper than that, in that I think sometimes we need baby-like eyes. We need to be born again just so that we can see what God is doing. God is active and alive in this place. And, and I tell you what, if, if I never sensed his presence, and, and I know there's times, there's dry times in all of our lives, but if I could never sense his presence, I'd be praying, God, let me be born again so that I could see your kingdom. See, all these things we do, re- reading the Bible, singing songs, serving, giving, loving, all these things we do, we we. We are only effective to the point that we allow these disciplines, these habits to place us in the life-changing, transforming presence of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that makes a difference. It's, you know, Bible study without the presence of God is just study. But Bible study in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, God can transform us through the word. You know, I, I, uh, I love reading your Facebook post because sometimes they're embarrassing and, uh, and I know what I have to preach on. <laughs> Jesse, I read yours this week talking about the word of God. That's the Holy Spirit at work through the word of God in your life transforming you through the power of the word. There is power in the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And and that's the significance. Oh, man. Can I have more time? (laughs) No. (laughs) That was kind of half-hearted. Yeah, man. (laughs) That is the power of two or three gathered with the word of God. You realize that. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in the midst. And so gathered with other peoples, other believers around the word of God, there, there is something unique that occurs in the midst of that. And if you're not part of a small group, if you're not in a Sunday school class, if you're not gathered in God's word around other folks, it, you, God's word is effective however we read it. But I want you to know that there's something significant that happens when we gather with other people around God's word. It is a communal book. It is meant to be read in groups. It's, it's not just meant to be read in private. As a matter of fact, for centuries and centuries, centuries it was never read like that it was read to groups of people and it's in in that community as you gather around the word that the holy spirit is present and he takes that word and he just transforms it i've got good news for you today jesus is available to us when we make ourselves fully available i believe that um, and, I, and I don't understand I mean I I understand the history of revival and, and I, I understand you know there's some that will suggest that you know God sends revival when God wants to send revival and, and maybe that's true I don't know it, it doesn't fit my, Ar, Ar, my Armenian 
view of God. It just doesn't. See, see, I tend to believe that when we seek him with all our heart, he will be found. I tend to believe that when the scripture says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will come in and sup with them. I tend to believe that means that if we will just open our eyes to what God is doing and make ourselves fully available to him, that God will be present in our midst. And in his presence, there's revival. If you wait for revival to prepare for revival, you will most likely miss revival so what do you need to do to prepare for revival (laughs) cuckoo I like that (laughs) that was the best one yet (laughs) aren't you glad you can come to a place that in all these things we can still laugh you know this isn't a heavy place folks this is a place of joy and laughter. It's a time, we, this is a place we can cry together, sure. But man, if, there's not, if this is not a place of laughter and life, then, then it's not much of a church in my perspective. After revival, the revival series, we're going to do a series called Pressure Cooker. And, and some of you participated in the survey of the, the life pressures. And, um, and so that, that will start April 17th. And and I'm, I've been working on how do we, what do we need to do in that series? What, you know, all these at things that cause pressure and what's the center of the series? And actually, I'm even meeting with my, my cousin, Patty. She's a psychologist and deals with, you know, she deals with a lot of stressed people. And we're going to talk about this a little bit and ways that um, this affects, pressure affects people. And, and as I've studied this week and I've prayed, the, the thing that has kept coming back to me is, as we think of revival is Sabbath. Um, see, God put in his commands in the center of, of our lives this ideal that in the midst of it all, we are called to stop and rest and wait on God. And, and then somehow in that stopping and waiting and resting and waiting on God, that, that, that we can realize that everything doesn't revolve around us, number one, that I can't do everything on my own, and I need God to intercede and be part of my life, and God wants to be part of that. And so there's this rhythm of life and where we stop and say, God, speak. And, and we live in a world where Sabbath is foreign. Amen? This past two weeks, we've moved in this house, and it's been crazy. Uh, you know, Terry's been lugging furniture up and down the steps, and, and I've had to watch her do that. It just made me so tired. <laughs> but for two weeks, you know, all I've been doing, worrying about is, is getting stuff in the house and getting stuff out of the old house and, you know, cleaning carpets and cleaning up where we, we left so that, you know, maybe I can get some deposit back and all that kind of stuff. And so I've been like stressed out over that. And it's been the, my sole distraction. And um, I thought about that. And, and for two weeks, I, I want you to know I've been distracted. 
You know, it's constantly on my mind. When I, when I sit down, the first thing I think is, I need to be doing something, right? And that's two weeks. Some of you have been dealing with distractions, not for two weeks, not for two months, not for six months, but for years. And it's distracted you from the God who is present, the God who wants to give you peace, the God who wants to give you life. We live in a Sabbath-less world. But hear me, we are Sabbath people. And when I'm talking Sabbath, I'm not talking about Sunday services. I'm talking about stopping and allowing God to speak. So we're going to do that here for five minutes. Amy, can you come and play? She'd like to stop and rest. You don't, you don't need to play. You sit, sit. We don't need music because you'd like to sit. You want to sit too, don't you? Well, honestly, folks, you think pastor, pastor, we can become so consumed in the ministry that we never stop. So in silence, can we do this without music? Can God speak without something playing? I'm going to give you like five minutes and uh, just pray, just listen to God. Is there, maybe there's a relationship that needs to be healed. Maybe there's a, an attitude that needs to be confessed. Maybe there's something you need to do to prepare your heart for God to move. Our altars are available. You don't have to come to the altar, but maybe you know, altars are special places. Maybe you just want to come down and, and meet with God at the altar for a few minutes, and then I'm going to close this in prayer in about five minutes. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Who would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I really need God to move fresh in my life. Would you just lift your hand real quick? All over here. You can put them down. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, right now we just stop and we give you praise because you're worthy. I sense your presence in this, this place this morning because you have, um, you have filled your people with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I believe that uh, even beside that, you are present to us. I pray, Lord, that um, we will allow you to do the transforming in our hearts, and in the hearts of others. May may we um, allow you to move, and Lord, as you move, may we uh, follow. Open our eyes to your presence. Open our eyes to your, um, your will. Give us hearts that are tender to you, ears that are open. I pray, Lord, for those distractions. And Lord, I know there are many. In some of our lives, Lord, there's been distractions that have kept us preoccupied with life for months, if not years. And they've blinded us to your move, to your love, and to your care. I pray now, Lord, that you'll, um, you'll cause blind people to see. The, the Lord, you'll remove the things, the blinders from our eyes. And Lord, we'll see you in a fresh way this morning. The Lord will see, number one, that you love us and you care for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Lord, help us to live worthy of that promise. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to, to understand and accept the work of your Holy Spirit that, that wants to purify and empower us and change us from the inside out. That, Lord, we will not, be, um, we will not settle for less than you. Now, Lord, I pray for those in this congregation that are are just kind of playing around the edges. They don't know whether to jump in with both feet or or to go out the back door. I I pray now, Lord, that you'll just help them to, to sense, Lord, the life that you offer. This is good news. This is the gospel that Jesus has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly, that that we can have relationship with you and full relationship with each other. Thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this church and in my life, Lord. I pray, Lord, that as a pastor, that, that, Lord, I will not be so preoccupied with the job of pastor that I forget, Lord, to be a Christian. Help me to keep my eyes firmly fixed on you because you are the author and the finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless.